So do your research, find out what other people are doing. I don't ever delude myself into thinking I have anything so novel that nobody else is doing. Like somebody else has thought about this. My dad is like, his favorite saying, there's nothing new under the sun. (laughs) Nothing. Go out there and find it. Somebody else is doing it. They've struggled through it. Find and learn from them. Hey folks, I'm Connor Gaughan, and welcome to Consensus in Conversation, a podcast that highlights the inspiring stories of sustainable business leaders and the innovative strategies they're finding new ways to align positive social impact with profit. Today, I'm joined by Jamila Norman, the owner of Patchwork City Farms, which is one of the original members of Atlanta's urban agriculture movement. In the early years of an entrepreneurial venture, no one has it all figured out. The breadth of knowledge required to run a successful business is just too vast for even the most brilliant individuals to instantly master. At some point, we all have to put our egos aside, prioritize a willingness to learn, and ask for help with what we need. Developing this growth mindset is vital for the world of startups, and I'm fascinated by Jamila's particular community-based perspective on the topic. After working for more than a decade as an environmental engineer for the state government of Georgia, Jamila realized that she wanted to have more of an immediate impact on the well-being of her friends, family, and neighbors. The inaccessibility of nutritious food was a systemic challenge for Atlantans, so With limited agricultural experience, Jamila founded Patchwork City Farms in order to provide a new local supply of fresh produce. Difficulties like unpredictable weather conditions and ever-shifting consumer preferences kept things interesting. However, Jamila didn't try to solve all these problems on her own. Rather, her inquisitive nature led her to learn from local community and urban agriculture experts nationally, whose guidance has helped Patchwork thrive and increased its resiliency. Now, Jamila's business has grown immensely, and she's been able to energize aspiring farmers across the country through her starring role in the hit show Homegrown, a program that teaches viewers how to improve their personal gardens. Get ready for an entertaining discussion, where we'll also explore topics like urban farming's many environmental benefits and how to transform an idealistic vision into a tangible reality. I'm so excited to talk. Um, I want to start just at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, goodness. A little bit about myself. Uh, My name is Jamila Norman. I am the owner and operator of Patchwork City Farms here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm also the host of a show on the Magnolia Network called Homegrown. And uh, you know what other specifics? (laughs) Uh, Well, where are you from originally? Okay. Yeah. So originally I'm from New York. My parents are Caribbean. So my mom is from Jamaica. My dad is from Trinidad. I was born and raised in New York City, born in Brooklyn, grew up in Queens. Nice. Then I moved to Connecticut, lived in Hartford and then New London on the coast. And then eventually back in 1992, moved to Atlanta, Georgia, because, you know, they were advertising was a new place to be. What was that like to transition from New York and the tri-state area down to Atlanta in the early 90s. How was that adjustment? You know, it was different. It was different. Um, Atlanta is, for the South, is a big city, but it still has a, a town feel to it. So it was like, ah, a big town. My parents are from very small rural communities in Jamaica and Trinidad. So, of course, you know, people immigrate and everybody goes to New York because, you know, that's that's where you go to make your dreams happen. But they just gotten tired of city life and they just was like, we want land, we want some country, we want fresh air. 
And so that's what we came down to the South for. And that's what we found. (laughs) Did you get to spend much time in Trinidad or visiting your folks' families growing up? Yeah. So when I was younger, yeah, we were kind of between New York and Trinidad. So I did live in Trinidad on and off for a couple of years. And Jamaica, I didn't really get to visit until I was really an adult, just kind of going back with kids, with my family. But yeah, Trinidad, I had fond memories of just lush, tropical, beautiful, amazing. And back then, did you think you had any ideas what you wanted to be when you grew up and what your aspirations were? I really, I wanted to be an environmentalist, okay? I wanted to save the world because, of course, back then we were having the same conversation we're having now, like pollution and trash. And, you know, this was the era of like Back to the Future and it was beyond 2000 and Captain Planet and the Planeteers and Greenpeace was a thing that everybody wanted to do after college. So I knew I was going to be an environmentalist. I was going to be saving us for ourselves. That's the work I wanted to do. I wanted to commit myself to finding a solution to environmental problems. What do you think that a child Jamila would say if she saw what you're doing right now, given that? I think she would be like, man, you weren't too far off. No. Because um, <laughs> like, oh, you know, you ended up working in that field. And farming doesn't seem like uh, it's kind of in that field, but the way that I farm and being that I'm doing it in an urban environment, I am still addressing a lot of those things, but just from a different sort of angle. Instead of a city property being blighted, concrete, whatever, we're transforming it into green spaces. We're helping people eat healthy food. We're developing a space that's a carbon sink. We're developing a space that is bringing diversity and everything, helps to clean out the air because, you know, it's add in oxygen because it's a bunch of plants as opposed to a concrete pad or something like that. So yeah. still kind of getting at it, but from a different angle. Where'd you go to school? So I went to the University of Georgia and okay. um, initially started off in environmental management and economics because I thought, oh yeah, environmental management. Yes, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be managing the environment for good. That was more of, oh, look at the environment. What can we extract from it? Look at this stand of trees. How much does that cost? How 10 years will be harvested? So I was like, I don't think that's what I want to do. And my advisor was like, well, we have an environmental engineering program. And it sounds like you want to create solutions and design solutions to problems. And I was like, yeah, buddy, that's it. That sounds like I'm like, (laughs) ding, ding, ding. Uh, You know, you got it. So he was like, try engineering department. And so I graduated environmental engineering degree from University of Georgia. So you graduate and and go into engineering to start. Yeah. So I graduated. I did environmental engineering working for the state of Georgia. So on the public side, working for the government, I worked in water and wastewater. Mainly, I was on the compliance side, visiting all the industries throughout Georgia that we had permits with. So we permitted industries and we also permitted cities directly. And on the industry side, NutraSuite, just all kinds of industries, like, you know, um, battery manufacturers and food, but industry use a lot of water in their process. It picks up all kinds of things along the way and they eventually discharge it into a river. So we're making sure that you take the time to clean up this water before you put it back in the river. And so our job was to go and make sure that they were doing that. They were reporting appropriately. They were testing and all that stuff. And then on the city side, we kind of did the same thing because There are industries that discharge to city sewers, and then the city has the permit to discharge to the river. And we just want to make sure that what ends up in the river is still clean. So 
I would imagine that period was really illuminating. We're getting more and more aware of how important it is in every aspect of the conversation. And so how did that kind of help illustrate or, or develop how you think about things now? Yeah, water, I mean, definitely, definitely illuminating, right? And and kind of like, I don't know, there's a show called How It's Made. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm living my own personal How It's Made, like really seeing all <laughs> It was fun. I mean, it was cool in that way because you just got to see all kinds of stuff. But yeah, but then you really see how industries use water, but then you also see when things don't go right, like those communities and what the effect is on those communities. So at that same time, environmental justice sort of became a really big topic and things that people realized they needed to kind of focus on. So from the federal standpoint and coming down on the state level, these different communities that are feeling the effects of a bad actor, let's say. And so as I am kind of traveling through these communities to get these industries and you see some of these issues playing out because waste is either discharged through water, through the air, or into the land. It's going one of those three places and there are communities that are around that. So we're seeing the effects of what's happening in the communities, but then at the same time, coupled with that, there's also the effects of what agriculture looks like in those areas, because now I'm engaging and interacting a lot more with rural spaces, food that people have access to, the communities that people are living in, like the air is so bad, the water is horrible to this. And so I'm just like, there's a whole ecosystem of things that could be affecting you. And as my years in the state, year four, year five, year six, year seven, There were projects that I inherited when I started and when I eventually left, they still weren't done. They still weren't resolved. And so it eventually just sort of became a place where I was like, am I doing anything here but pushing paper? Am I seeing a problem, getting to a solution and having closure on something is being done or whatever? And so, yeah, you know, after a while, you just, you lose inspiration and you're just like, I'm not really being effective here. Immediately, people eat every day. We eat every day. We we need to drink water. We breathe in the air. And within my immediate community where I live here in Atlanta, in, you know, Southwest Atlanta in the neighborhood of West End, food options are horrible. My kids are going to school. Obviously, you know, I'm trying to feed myself the community around me, we don't even have access to good food. Like, you know, I'm driving across town to the good side of the city to go shop for good food. So I was like, maybe I need to work on act locally, think globally, you know, like what can I do in my local environment? And so that's where I started farming. But there was an overlap because that was four years before I left the state. So I was farming on the weekend. Yeah, yeah. I was farming after work. Full-time engineer, mama, farming. Yeah, <laughs> not busy at all. Not busy at all. You know, just just a little something aside. Do you remember a moment or a conversation where you just said, "Okay, this is I, I have to solve this. I'm going to start learning how to farm on the weekends." Or what was the moment that catalyzed your excitement, your interest yeah. in doing this? It was more like a community effort, right? So sure. I bought my house here in this community in 2008. I personally always wanted to have a really big garden, right? And I thought that I would retire on some land and I'd keep a garden and, you know, live off the land. That was going to be like retirement, you know, never really imagined it in a city. And 
when I bought my house here, moved my family here, saw the food options, was like, this is kind of trashy. There was some activity already of people growing food. So there was a church two blocks down the street. And so I was like, oh, I can walk to this church. Let me see, you know, if I can help them in their church garden. And I went there, started helping them. And then across from the church is the local park and met some people in the park just talking. But we're all like, this food around here is trash. We need better options, blah, blah, blah. So we were just like, well, let's just grow some stuff. And we started off with a small community garden in that park. The city had like a community gardens and park program. We signed up for it. We're like, okay, we're going to launch that. And so we just started that just to have some activation, some stuff, and we were going to share it. And then I got connected to a school in the neighborhood, Brown Middle School, that another organization had an acre that they had gotten under contract with the city and they were growing on that acre. So we were like, oh, good, let's upgrade and join that organization. So we went to go join that. But then that organization dissolved. So me and my, at the time, just friend, now turned business partner, we were like, well, why don't we take it over? Yeah. We can do this. Took us 11 months, but we got a contract. And that's how Patrick City Farm started. Was there a big jump from that community garden in the park to one acre? A jump more so in the scale of production. So the half acre was kind of like our commercial operation. A quarter acre was like a community garden, community orchard. And then we had a student garden where we were working with students. At the church that I started volunteering with, the lady that maintained that garden, was an, she was a retired older Black woman and she was maintaining an acre by herself. So we're like, uh, we could do this, right? But she had a good 50 years of knowing how to run a farm because she grew up on a farm, 200-acre farm in South Georgia. So, I mean, we were just inspired. We were young. I look at the pictures. I'm just like, I don't even know where I had that energy because I don't have it now. (laughs) But we were just like high on possibility and, you know, ready to change the world. So I'm really curious. You talk about seeing the the older woman at the church who's running an acre by herself for all intents and purposes. How was the community around this kind of upstart trend, or at least it was upstart, a little upstart trend a decade ago. It's getting more mm-hmm. and more popular now. But w- what was the community like? Who were the folks that you surrounded yourself with to learn more or to find answers to the questions? Right. That was Miss Lizzie. We definitely consider her a mentor. She's now transitioned. Because, I mean, she was old. And, and we were like, how are you out here all day? But like, she grew up on a 200 acre farm. So she's just like, this is my therapy. I'm retired. I'm here all day. Like, I love this. This is in my blood. I don't know anything else to do. And I just love it. And there were, you know, there were a couple of other people. Like there was literally a handful of other farmers in Atlanta that were operating urban farms. And we reached out to them. And so one farmer, he actually had like a really small, intensive urban ag farm. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was part of this larger artist loft project. And so when we went and met up with him, him and his business partners had kind of come into farming from like a really strategic like business side, right? So he's like, oh, I got, you know, set up the whole business framework. And he was like, here, I'll share with you our business framework for how we set up our partnership for our farm and the relationship with this landowner. So that formed the framework of our business because he was just generous enough to share. Because again, we're all figuring this out. We're kind of all new in this together. And 
you know, nobody's feeling any kind of competition or there's no trade secrets here. Like you're signing up for a lot of hard work and some bugs and summers and mosquitoes. So we're going to help you as much as we can. And that was the, <laughs> like, everybody was like, oh my God, what do you need to know? Because let me tell you what I know, because this is how we went. So yeah, he helped us with the business structure. Then we went and incorporated. Then there was a couple of other farmers who were kind of like already operating and just talking to each other. What farm to table restaurants are looking for farm partners? Where are the good markets? At that time, it was just a handful of markets. We were all actually like helping to launch markets throughout the city and just general, well, how are things going for you? That kind of support. So there was a very tight knit community of people in ag and urban agriculture in the city of Atlanta and very much tied to the organic, sustainable agriculture movement that was happening just in the state in general. So there was sort of like a little bit of an expanded connection throughout the state with some other farmers in metro Atlanta. As you've seen the last few years, have you noticed and can you feel a difference in the size of the community, whether it's within Atlanta, whether it's beyond urban farming Mm -hmm. to include the sustainable, organic, and kind of folks statewide? Can you notice any trends towards growth? Oh, yeah. Exponential. When we started, it was literally like five farms in Atlanta. They're like, 30 urban farms in city of Atlanta proper, right? Tons of markets. And so it has definitely exploded in the number of people who are both entering farming as a profession, whether it's full-time or part-time, the number of farmers markets in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta, and just the organizations that have popped up around even supporting and getting money to and, and all of that. And then on the community garden side, I mean, there's over 500 community gardens in the city. So it's definitely exploded and we welcome it. It's still not enough because farming in general as a profession across the country, farmers are really, really old and not too many young people are entering farming. So there's a major gap in people taking over farms and their capacity to take over big farms, right? Because, I mean, we're in the city. I grow a lot and I support a good number of families. We're looking at five to 600 customers we're serving on a monthly basis. But, I mean, that's a drop in the bucket when you got over a million people in metro Atlanta. But it's definitely trended upwards. As you were getting into it, did you have any preconceived notions of what it was going to be like? Looking back, you're like, why did I think this was going to be what my life was like? Why did I think this is how it was going to go? Preconceived notions. I mean, I thought I was going to retire and just live on this idyllic farm, right? Which... I don't even know how I thought it was going to just be retirement and farming <laughs> because like you retire from farming, <laughs> you don't retire. And, and I guess, I don't know, but I didn't have an idea of what I thought it was going to be once I started the business, right? It was just learning along the way and learning the industry. I will say this. I got into it because I wanted to make fresh food accessible to a certain community of people that didn't have access, Right. I didn't realize how all the reasons and all of the issues that prevented people from accessing fresh produce. And it's not just proximity, right? It's not that, oh, well, if the grocery store has good food in your neighborhood, then you can get it. That's the least of the problem. It is money, 
the working poor, right? They can be working 40 plus hours a week and don't have enough money to access healthy food. Transportation, Atlanta has a horrible transportation system. And so you have to have a car to live in this city. So if you don't have reliable transportation, you can't access the food. It is, do I have access to food that's culturally relevant that I even know what to do with, you know? And sometimes people are so overworked and busy because, I mean, I was a mom and, I mean, I took the time to cook all my children's meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but it took a significant amount of my time. And, I mean, there were many eight, nine, ten o'clock meals because I'm like, oh, I came home from work and I got to cook. And that was a big point of contention, but I'm like, I'm not eating trash. I'm not doing it, you know? All of those things are barriers to access and naively thought that, oh, if I'm just in that community, growing food in that community, then boom, I would create the access. And unfortunately, in order to remain viable, I had to take that food out of this community to the community that could afford it and that could access it, that can keep my bills paid. So we're still working on closing that gap because then you realize food access is a community issue, right? It's a public health issue. It's bigger than any farmer being like, I'm just there and I grow food and now they can get it. And so that would be the naivety in my sort of approach. Are there any stories or moments from the early days, especially where you just thought, oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. every summer I quit, I considered quitting because it's just so hot. <laughs> I mean, it's a trend. It's like we talk about it and we have to like check in on our farmer friends and be like, how you doing? Because it's really hot. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like the summer, I'm just like, who, who am I proving myself to? Literally, this is a conversation I'm having with myself. I'm like, who am I proving myself to? And then fall comes and you're like, oh, okay, it's not so bad. And then spring and you're like, oh, look at all the seeds. And the Literally, it's the cycle. So now that I recognize the cycle, I'm like, just make it through the summer. You'll be fine. Um, we used to have major drought seasons. Now we have major like wet seasons. But there was a point where right. it hadn't rained and like, I, I swear it had to be over a month. And we were so desperate for water. We contacted our council person and she was like, well, you know, maybe you should call the fire department, because I don't know, you know, they rescue cats. They might rescue farmers. Um, she's like, call the fire department. <laughs> and because they have old hoses, because we were trying to connect to the fire hydrant, but it has a two inch tap. So you can't connect a regular garden hose. And she was like, well, they have old hoses. So we got connected to the fire department. We found their training center. And then he was like, well, you know what? We got a crew that we're training and they haven't used the hose before. So why don't we just bring the truck out? So we had a truck full of firemen show up at the farm to rescue two women farmers and water our garden. Then I feel like not even a week later, somehow I got connected to somebody that was a plumber and he was like, oh yeah, if you go to a specialty plumbing store, they have a two inch connect that then goes down to a, a garden hose. And we were like, what? Well, it's not at the Home Depot. You had to go down to the specialty. So we right. went there, bought this $50 fit in and you know, then we had water. You were good. <laughs> I love it. So talk to us about how you then went from, okay, now we know we're, we know what we're growing. We got that part down. Now we got to sell this. How did you figure out who to sell to, how to get there, yeah. what inventory to you know be planning for? Like, mm -hmm. this is so, hard stuff. Right, yeah. So, I mean, in terms of selling, there was a market at one of the big parks in Atlanta, Piedmont Park, and it was free for farmers to set up. 
So we contacted the market manager. She was like, okay, yeah, perfect. We got space. We'd love to have you. That's how we started in the market. And then while you're there, so many customers are coming by. You learn very quick what customers like, what they're looking for, because they're telling you, do you grow this? Do you grow that? Do you have this? Do you know about that? Oh, I love this. Oh, I don't like that. You know, you see right away what they're <laughs> buying, what they don't like. And then also, I love reading. I will read and research and find out. So at the same time that I'm just all in in person, I'm online. I'm researching what a farmer's doing in other cities. And a lot of stuff was coming out of Canada, which was surprising. A lot of like little micro urban farms in Canada. I found this community of people that are growing intensively in in cities. You know, they had an online forum. You can ask questions. They talked a lot about the business side of things, right? They were like, as a farmer, you need to be able to know what you're growing, how much you're growing of it. They had already had profiles of crops that were profitable, that was quick to market. So I was able to literally purchase their playbook because they wrote it up, put it together in a, in, yeah. in a system and it like had it for sale. I'm like, slip buy that. So that formed the framework of how we set up the farm, even from day one and how to kind of look at it yeah. as units of production of this thing, knowing how to display it on the shelf for the customers. So do your research, find out what other people are doing. I don't ever delude myself into thinking I have anything so novel that nobody else is doing. Like somebody else has thought about this. My dad is like, his favorite saying, there's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> nothing. Yep. Yep. Go out there and find it. Somebody else is doing it. They've struggled through it. Find and learn from them. So yeah, so we had that as a framework. And then going to market, it's every single week. You're getting feedback every single week, all year long. And Georgia's pretty much a year-round season. So you're getting a lot of data from customers to be able to go back and adjust. And we could adjust within the season. I mean, if a crop doesn't do well, you pull it out, you can have another crop in 30 days, you know? So we could adjust pretty yeah. quickly. Do you have a favorite crop? No, it's like, do I have a favorite child? No. Um, <laughs> I know everybody asks me that and I don't, I love it all. And I mean, I'm constantly still exploring new things. Like I started doing dye crops two years ago, growing indigo, marigolds, things to dye. I love sunflowers. I do grow sunflowers. I love all the herbs, literally all the herbs. I love root crops because it's like candy under the ground and you pull it out. And, oh my God, it's a carrot 20 years later. And I'm still, you know, excited when I pull a <laughs> carrot. Yeah, no, I, I can't pick a favorite. No, <laughs> <I can't pick laughs> that's fair. Right. I had to ask, you know, yeah, 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 what, yeah. what the farmers like the most. I do have some things I have love-hate relationships with. I can tell you some of the things I'm like, Err. people love tomatoes and it's a love-hate relationship with tomatoes. I can see that. <laughs> yeah. And now that you've kind of, I mean, this has been your life that you've built uh, an incredibly successful business around it. What excites you about what's coming next for Patchwork or for you? What are you kind of looking forward to as the next chapter of growth? Yeah, yeah. So my next chapter of growth is just creating more opportunities for people to engage and be on the farm. So we're a production farm. We are just growing food, selling food. How the farm is set up is just to support that. Even though I've been farming for 15 years in the city, this is my third farm site, but this is the one that I own. And it's only been five years of sort of building this farm. So it was a patch of grass and had to bring all the infrastructure in. So now as we had a nice cadence with like 
farm operations, my next thing is bringing in some hospitality and events and engagement and activation because people want to come. They want to spend a day on the farm. They want to do all kinds of things on the farm. So that's the next phase. I've already gotten all my pre-development done and gotten my zoning approval from the city for the whole vision. And so we're just finalizing our performa and then we're going to be doing a big round of fundraising and, you know, going to find some money to build it out. Is that exciting to you or is that like... Oh, oh, totally. It kind of like, you know, I've been farming, like in the dirt, slanging, compost, pulling plants, weeds. So this is sort of like another level and a new way of expression. So yeah, no, this is super exciting. Building a space, creating a space, creating an environment, you know, I have a little design aesthetic, getting to kind of put that out there and put out a vision of sustainability and wellness for a community that's engaging and inviting to everyone within the community. Because that was also an impetus for creating this space. Not every space I worked in to do community programming was an inviting space for everyone. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I got to build it. I got to build it in that way my community and my people can be part of, can see ourselves reflected and wellness is for everybody. So really that's that's the vision of the farm is the farm at the base, but creating a wellness space for all kinds of lovely activations and for Atlanta at large. That sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm so, I'm like amazing. excited. I, I just got off the phone with my architect right before I jumped off. I was like, I got three minutes. I got to do this podcast. Okay, but yeah. <laughs> you mentioned at the beginning you've all, you're also a host of uh, Show on Magnolia mm-hmm. and I'm curious if you tell us a little bit about that or how you think about your opportunities to make the world a, a better place yeah and so that opportunity came to me people are always like oh my god how did you make that happen I was like minding my business and some producer sent me an email hey I have this show idea you know it was right before the pandemic 2019 And at that point, I'd been farming for almost 10 years, right? I had gotten a lot of people, oh my God, I see what you're doing. I want to do what you're doing. Can you help me? This is another. So we'd been getting a lot of requests from people trying to have me help them do what I'm doing. Sure. I don't have that capacity because I'm one person. They were like, we want to do this show. We want to do it about farming. We want to do it about gardening. Whether you're working directly with homeowners or just teaching, it has to be real. It's not a like duct tape, you know, make it look good on TV, but like real information that people watching can actually take away and implement. And I was like, that's the only way I'm going to do it. If what I'm sharing is real and I'm actually this one opportunity allows me to scratch, you know, or fulfill people reaching out and trying to get guidance. Right. I'm like, oh, I could do a show and everybody can watch it and then they can just learn from the show instead of trying to be everywhere. So I was like, okay. And then, yeah, and then they sold the show to Magnolia, and we had homegrown. That's awesome. If you had to describe it for folks yeah. who have, aren't familiar in you know, a sentence or two, yeah. how, how would you describe the show's concept? Yeah, so what we do at Homegrown is I work with families to help them install farms and gardens on their property. So we have young families that are just starting out, and they have their kids, and they want to make sure they have a farm or garden for their kids, people who are trying to reconnect with agricultural family history that they've had in the past, or even people who are retired like me with that vision, I'm going to retire and have a farm. And there are people who are literally like, we're retiring and we want to have a farm. So we just help them bring that vision to life 
And we go from yards that look like nothing to fully fledged, amazing, productive, and we're harvesting vegetables out of your backyard. That's amazing. And so total transformations of people's properties into farms and gardens. When you think about folks on the show that you helped or folks that have come in to work with you at at Patch, any stories that stand out of just watching someone whose eyes light up, they just get it. Okay, I can do this. This is a life-changing event for them. Mm -hmm. So many of those, but it started when we were, so the first iteration of the farm was working at the middle school, was a property at the middle school, and we had a student garden. And we were working with the students after school. So like Wednesday after school, a couple of hours, a couple of students that were interested. And when we started, what do you know about gardening? What do you want to grow? It was very like, oh, y'all don't know anything. But then as we started growing food, I mean, you just, you literally see their eyes light up and their parents are showing up like, my kids are eating vegetables. What do you do to them? <laughs> and I was like, well, they grew it. And I think that's what they're excited about. And then also we saw kids who then, at first they were like, oh, no, I don't anything about growing food. And then as they started growing and harvesting, they'd be like, oh, wait a minute. You know, I used to go visit my grandparents on the weekends down in the country and they kept a garden. So it's like, then you see those kind of distant connections being reformed. That just sort of mushroomed then. You just saw it in so many different ways throughout all the different years. And now I'm getting sort of like an onslaught of it through email, right? And people send me pictures. Kids write letters, which is they draw a picture of their garden and they write, I was watching your show and I grew a tomato and a cucumber. But now I'm getting it like through social media and through emails of people just being like, I love your show. I've been implementing your tips. It's really helped in the garden. So I'm like, oh my God, it's really working. Like people watch this and it really does help them. And that's very sweet. And then a lot of people are like, it's just peaceful. It's just like, I just love watching it because it's so serene and peaceful and wonderful. And this is how I decompress at the end of a long week. That keeps you going when it's a thousand degrees and 90% humidity and the mosquitoes are eating you. We've mentioned a couple of times, especially early on, the idea that underneath agriculture and and urban farming are quite a few opportunities to do good in the world. I mean, whether it's helping mitigate the change in climate through increasing Mm -hmm. carbon sinks and and or, Mm -hmm. you know, the folks that are doing regenerative ag and kind of the ways that their practices are helping. But also, you know, you talk Mm -hmm. about hopefully breaking systemic barriers towards access to food, access to healthy food. Mm -hmm. As you think about doing good and doing well, and the alignment of those two things. How do you align your work with your calling? Because you've really done both, right? You're building a business that's yeah. incredibly successful, but, but underneath it is something much deeper. And how do, you, how do you align those two things? Yeah, yeah. And I think I will say I led with the calling and just sort of found the vehicle to implement it, right? And agriculture for me was the vehicle to implement how can I positively impact my community, but still do good for the environment and for the people that live in that environment? And what is this simple solution? And so I thought, I was like, oh, the most simple, like food. And I'll grow the food and I'll grow it sustainably and I'll grow it in the communities that need it. And so it became the vehicle where I can still practice and work on those things. You can approach all of those things without it being preachy, 
without it being like, you're yeah. doing a bad thing in the environment. It's like, oh, I'm growing food. Oh, wow, that's awesome. But then yep. in growing food, you know, we're helping to bring back pollinators. In growing food in the city, we're helping to transition what was once a blighted property into a an oasis. In growing food, we're helping to create some access for people that have food insecurity. In growing food in the city, we've been able to contribute positively to the environment. And how I grow that food also contributes, right? Because it's important for me. Like in the beginning, it had to be organically grown. It had to be regenerative. It had to be sustainable, all of those things. So that was the framework in how I did the agriculture. And agriculture was a vehicle for me to still be able to address all of those things. How do you think that growing one's own food changes the way that somebody thinks about food, food systems, mm-hmm. food security. Like, is there a connection that when you start doing it, it grounds you and, you know, opens up your eyes to things? Yeah, definitely. So we would have volunteer opportunities. And once a month, people would come and they could work with us on the farm, this, that, and the other. And people are also like, wow, develop more respect for agriculture as an industry. Because, I mean, agriculture was like a really big industry that nobody knows anything about. And people generally don't have a whole lot of respect for or understanding. You're like, do you know how much of our country, government, GDP is like agriculture? And so then they come and they're like, whoa, this is hard work. Or wow, people who start gardens, they're like, yeah, I spent $5,000 to produce one $5 tomato. You know what I mean? They just realize like, whoa, this is way more money than I thought. So there's a lot more inputs that goes into creating. You develop more of a respect for the people that are involved in ag, you know? You might think like, oh, you know, whatever, migrant workers. And then you're like, wait a minute, I just picked a tomato in 95 degrees. What? I went inside because it was too hot for five minutes. Like, People are doing this day in and day out for 10, 12 hours a day. Then it just sort of does a little light bulb open up your mind to like, wow, well, if this is like this on this micro scale, what does it look like on the macro, right? Because as a society, most of us are not totally connected to that process. And then when we get connected to it, it's very eye-opening and humbling and all those things. With the incredible business you've built and all the cool things you're doing, all the people you're reaching with your engaging activities, the show, et cetera, mm-hmm. what do you hope your legacy will be? I hope that I am not an outlier in ag, but just one of many, right? Because yeah. um, I've definitely been in spaces where people are like, oh my God, you know, you're like a black woman in egg. And, you know, you don't see that many. We don't go up to a person that's a doctor and like, oh my God, you're a doctor. You know, people are doctors. There's lots of doctors. You expect there to be lots of doctors. And we need more people entering the field. And so I just hope that I'm inspiring more people to kind of come in it, that we have a collective movement that creates the environment for a path to a career in ag. So, you know, just to be an inspiration, and I've definitely been seeing it in people reaching out, and just to be one of many, one of many, and to not be an outlier in ag. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Black woman, growing food, yeah. So is that dude down the street, like, no big deal. I want to end on a, what I think is going to be an inspiring question. So 
there was a big storm that hit Atlanta earlier and it really did a number on Patchwork, City Farms. Mm -hmm. Listening to you talk, you bring such optimism and excitement and joy. And so I'm curious, if you were to help others understand how to harness their optimism and their passion and their excitement to battle back when 90% of, the, of their farm is gets hit hard with the storm or whatever that kind of you know metaphor yeah. applies to you know in your life how would you inspire someone to bounce back yeah i think be connected within the community of whatever it is that you're doing because if i was all alone by myself in the sense of like not feeling like i had anywhere to turn to no one to talk to don't know if anybody else is going through this it might not have been a bounce back but you know, I already cultivated and fostered a community of other farmers, customers that are invested in you and know, yeah. you know, I've been doing this for so long. So having that community and being connected, but that's so important because that happened. I only put it on social media just to give my customers an explanation as to why I might not be a market for the next three months. I wasn't really expecting anything. You know, I just want to be like, I just want to put y'all on notice. There's nothing at the yeah. farm. And they showed up and they were like, how can we support? And they like financially carried us for those three months with their donations to be able to like keep people employed and to keep us going. And you don't build community for that reason, but that's one of the benefits of community. Yeah. When you're in community with people, people want to see you succeed. They value you. And when times are hard, they come through for you. And when things are great, you're celebrating together. And knowing that, talking to all the farmers, we're all in the same boat together. So you just don't feel like you're isolated. So community, community, community. Yeah, it's super, super, super important. I love it. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And that is a great place to conclude the conversation. Consensus and Conversations hosted by me, Connor Gaughan. The episode is produced by Will Gatchell, Chandler Bramstead, and Jeff Rock. Executive produced by me with editing from Reasonable Volume. Special thanks to Consensus Creative Director Kate Tucker and strategist Patrick Gallagher. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week.